God is strong, and he wants you strong. So take everything the Master has set out for you. Well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use, so you will be able to stand up to everything the Devil throws your way. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as the protective armor that covers your heart, and standing with feet protected and alert, always ready to share the blessings of peace. At all times, carry faith as a shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. And embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Finally, take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the Word of God. So, put on God's armor now, fight to the end, hold your ground, and rise victorious. Welcome everybody. You have probably noticed that we have added something to our display of the armor here. If you haven't, let me point it out to you. On the helmet, we have included the Roman mask for protection of the Romans as they went out to war. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, haha, how funny, but we actually were able to find an ancient picture of a Roman soldier with that mask on. Look, right, right here. He's got, he's got the mask on because you just never know what you're going to face when you're going out there into battle. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, oh, that is so funny. And uh, I realize that wearing masks is not the easiest thing. But as we move into this Christmas season and with more and more cases of COVID, I do want to encourage you, especially when you're coming to our services, to wear your mask, protect yourself, and uh, also it's a great way of letting people know that you um, are wanting to protect them as well. So appreciate you guys cooperating with that, and you have to laugh a little bit once in a while, right? Well, welcome back to our series. This is the last message in our series. We began way back in September. We started out with a message series called Rise of the Evil Empire. And what we tried to do was explain where evil comes from and how it affects our lives. If you missed any of those messages, I want to encourage you to go to our website, wooddale.org, and you can catch up or re-listen if you would like. And then we transferred over to our brand new series that we're concluding today, and that is Overcoming Evil, the Victory. And what we did in that series, what we've been doing is talking about the armor of God that he has given us to put on to defend ourselves from the attacks of the evil one, as well as to defeat evil in this world and around our lives. And I thought it'd be good for us to review what we have looked at so far. So we began by talking about the belt uh, that the soldier would wear and he would tuck in his tunic, remember, giving him freedom and security. And Paul says, you know, that belt reminds us of the belt of truth that God has called us to tuck our whole lives into. Then we talked about the Lorica Segmentata, which is this uh, chest covering that the soldier used to protect his vital organs like the heart and the lungs. And we said, you know, one of the most vulnerable places in our life is that place where we think about our worth and our value. But the good news is Christ has dressed us in his righteousness. And it's his righteousness that gives us eternal worth and value.
value before God. And then we talked about the sandals that the soldier wore. And we said the sandals provided traction, protection, and mobility, made him ready for anything that would come his way. And we said, you know, when you have the peace of God, which are, is what Paul called the sandals, the sandals of peace. When you have the peace of God, it makes you ready for anything in life because you're not trying to draw your peace from the world. You already have that in your heart and in your soul. And then we talked about the shield of faith. We talked about a different kind of shield, not quite like this one. And we said that the shield of faith is our ability to see God in all of our circumstances, whether it's our suffering or even our failures. We're reminded that God is with us in those times. Even when we spiritually fail him, God is there offering us his forgiveness and the hope that he brings to us, which takes us to the message that Pastor Cal shared with us when he talked about the helmet of salvation, how we find hope in the past, how we find hope in the present, and how we find hope in the future. And that brings us finally to what we're going to talk about today, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I want to look at that verse, the context of all the verses we've been looking at. So let's look at Ephesians 6 together. Here's what it says. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, every piece, every day. Remember that, every piece, every day. So you will be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. And we certainly live in a time of evil, don't we? Then after the battle, you'll be able to, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Word of God is really what's being emphasized by the sword of the Spirit. What Paul is doing is saying, look at that ancient Romans, uh, look at that Romans sword. What the sword was to him, the word of God is to us. Or if you want to take something a little bit more modern day, and I know our, our kids, our young adults are really going to appreciate this, then think about this, all right? I'm going to take us back to a very famous set of movies. You all know it as Star Wars, and I've got here, ooh, my light saber. Now, what the sword was the soldier, the saber was the Jedi. Remember, this saber made that Jedi almost invincible. It was such an amazing weapon. But put that saber in the hands of an inexperienced Jedi, and it was dangerous, not only to others, but to himself as well. What made the lightsaber so effective for the Jedi was his ability to channel the force, to let the force kind of take over, and he could do amazing things with that, or she could do amazing things with that. Well, enough of the lightsaber. Let's talk a little bit about how that applies to the sword. And I want to do that in terms of a principle. And here it is. The truth of God in the hands of a life fully surrendered to God is a powerful force in defeating the lies of the evil one. So like that sword was the soldier, a powerful force. And like the saber to the Jedi, in real life, listen, listen, 
the word of God in the hands of a woman or a man of God. He's a powerful force, a needed force in our world today. Look what Paul tells us about this in 2 Timothy. He says in chapter 3, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, you may have noticed something if you're looking at the text carefully. And that is that the belt of truth sounds an awful lot like the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the fact is, they are one in the same in Paul's mind, but with this difference. The belt of truth, which we've already looked at, speaks about the subjective use of the Word of God by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. The sword speaks about the objective use of the Word of God in dealing with that which is out in front of us or dealing with the lies that are in the world. What I want to do is I want to camp for a few more minutes on this idea of the subjective use of God's Word. I want to think about the belt of truth with you again because this is so important and we kind of flew over it rather quickly. So what Paul is telling us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in regards to the Word of God in our life is several things. He's telling us, first of all, that the Spirit uses God's Word if we'll let Him to give us a correct world view, a biblical worldview. Everybody has a view of the world. The question is, where's the source you're drawing that view from? And so as I think about what my worldview is going to be, I want to make sure I'm drawing it from God's truth. Secondly, Paul says the Spirit uses the Word of God to teach us how to conduct our everyday lives. I need something to govern my life. And so Paul says, let the Word of God govern your life. Thirdly, the Spirit uses the Word of God to encourage us. I can't tell you how encouraged I am every day when I go to God's Word. I spend time every morning in the Word of God. I've been reading through Isaiah for the last several weeks. And it's just, it's just been so encouraging to me. And last but not least, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to correct us, to correct us. You know, the Word of God reminds me a little bit of that route guidance system in my phone or in my car. Those things are really cool, aren't they? I mean, you can punch in the address of where you want to go, and if you want to actually listen to it, you can listen to the voice depending on what voice you choose, and it will navigate you exactly where you want to go. It'll tell you what exit to take, what lane to stay in, how close you are. But every once in a while, i got to be honest with you, I don't listen to the guidance system very well. Every once in a while, I think I know better how to get where I want to go. And then what it does, it starts rerouting me over and over again. It's like, Dale, pay attention. you got to turn left here. Don't go right. I'll have to reroute you again. And I was thinking to myself, you know, that happens so often in our lives, doesn't it? We try to go contrary to God's Word. We try to make our own pathway because we don't want to be told what to do. But God has a destination for all of our lives. And I need to subjectively use God's Word to find that direction and gain that insight where God wants to lead me and where God wants to take me. How about you? Now that presents a problem in our culture. 
And all of us are subject to that problem. And that is, there are a lot of people in our culture today, secularists especially, who just make fun of our submission to the authority of God in his word. And I want to talk for a few moments, especially to those of you who are students and those of you who are parents. Because our students are under a huge attack from the culture, mocking God's word, trying to convince them by sounding factual that the word of God cannot be trusted. And a little later on, I'll tell you about a movement that's happening within the church that calls into question our ability to trust God's word. See, the idea that's put out there is that God's word is full of fantastic stories, myths, and there's truth sprinkled in, and somehow you've got to pull kind of the truth out of that, and, you know, the stories are just kind of there for entertainment. And so when a teacher says that, a professor says that, a liberal pastor says that, a peer says that, or a parent says that, it can really wreck your faith. It can trouble you, especially if you're newer in the faith or you're a young person. In fact, I read recently that one of the reasons why there's an increasing number of young adults who don't come back to church, who don't come back to the faith once they leave home, is because when they were at home and they were in the church, they were never given a platform to voice their doubts or have anyone help them work through those doubts. Then they get away from us, so to speak, and they're inundated by these influential people and, and they don't want to feel like a fool. Remember when we talked about the belt of truth, we said we don't believe the Bible just because the Bible says it. We believe the Bible because the Bible points to the truth. We believe it has evidence to make us realize it is speaking of the truth and it works in our lives. Now, I get it. I know there's some fantastic stories in the Bible, like, for instance, Noah and the ark or the dividing uh, and the parting of the Red Sea or Jonah and the great fish that swallows him and then spits him up, or the virgin birth, or Jesus walking on water, or the resurrection of Christ. But just because something is beyond our human comprehension, just because it's out of the ordinary does not mean it's not true. Think about this with me for a moment. There are a lot of secularists who believe in things that honestly... I mean, you look at it, you just go, that's fantastic. How can they believe that? Take, for instance, the Big Bang Theory. Have you ever thought about that? Trillions of planets, solar systems, galaxies, stars, you know, dark matter, black holes scattered throughout all of space, this amazing universe of ours. Somehow, that all was once collected together and compressed to something smaller than a dot and then just boom exploded and here we are today I mean it's, it's just you look at that and you just go it just it's so fantastic how can you believe that because the evidence points to that I came across a, a quote uh, by uh, Marilyn Savant and I got to read it to you she by the way has the highest IQ score ever recorded here's what she said she said, I think that if it had been a religion that first maintained the notion that all the matter in the entire universe had once been contained in an area smaller than the point of a pin, scientists probably would have laughed at the idea. Listen, 
the evidence points to their scriptures. Smart guy, all right? Mark Middleberg puts it this way. He says, similarly, we can believe in the amazing things recorded in the Bible because of the supporting evidence, especially that it was seen and reported by credible eyewitnesses. Listen, if God is omnipotent, then God can place his son in the womb of a virgin. God is omnipotent, then Christ can walk on water and do the miracles that he did. If God is omnipotent, Christ can rise the dead. And if God is omnipotent, he can put his spirit in your life and my life. And we have all of that confidence because it's laid out for us in the word of God. So we first take the word of God and apply it to our lives. And the more confidence we have in the word of God, the more we'll experience the work and the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving through us. So I want to share with you another resource to help you strengthen your confidence in God's Word and be able to talk about it to others, especially those who are skeptics. And it's a book that's simply entitled Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert. It's published by Crossway. You might want to jot that down and check it out. It's very, it's, it's an exciting book and you'll find it very helpful as he wrestles with a lot of things that people sometimes question about God's Word. But let me just stop for a moment and ask you a question. Does the Word of God govern your personal life? Are you living under its authority? You will never know the power of God's Word if you don't submit to the Word of God. Because the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Spirit wants to use, has to use the Word of God to shape your life and my life. Now, let's move on and talk specifically now about what was called the gladius, all right? The sword that Paul's referring to when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the gladius was a weapon that was very, very dangerous. It was razor sharp on both sides and the tip. And in fact, it was known to be able to even puncture through armor. It was only 20 to 30 inches long. It only weighed about two pounds. And it is said that it was the gladius that conquered the world because it was such an effective weapon in the hands, like that saber in the Jedi's hands, in the hands of a professional, skilled soldier. This weapon was amazing. It was powerful. You know, when I think about the gladius, this weapon that the soldier had, I'm reminded of what the writer in Hebrews tells us about the Word of God. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. For the Word of God, I love this, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged gladius, all right? Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. Wow. If you've ever just opened the Word of God up and begun to read it, and to be sincere, you'll find that this is so true. It does pierce down deep inside. That's because it is the Word of God. That's because it is alive. Now, Paul says we need our spiritual gladius in the hands of the Holy Spirit in order to deal with false teaching. 
in order to deal with false teaching. Now, a couple of weekends ago when we talked about the shield of faith, I said there are three kinds of arrows that the enemy launches toward us. We talked about the arrows of suffering. We talked about the arrows of failure. And I said there's a third type that I was going to talk about in this message. And that's what I want to talk about. And that is the arrows of false teaching. I need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to deal with false teaching that comes my way. Look what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We don't use that gladius, all right? He says, we use God's mighty weapons. I think he has in mind the Word of God, right? Not worldly weapons to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. I cannot tell you how important this verse is and how important it is that you let the Word of God master you to the power of the Holy Spirit so that you become a master in using the Word of God. Now, I know it was kind of silly of me earlier to use the lightsaber and talk about the Jedi and the Force. That's fantasy, and that's kind of like the world trying to tap into something spiritual. But here is the truth. As we said earlier, when the Word of God ends up in the hands of a young person or an adult, even a child, who's yielded to the Spirit of God, it becomes powerful. It becomes living and active in you and through you. And it's the only offensive weapon that we have in dealing with the world that's around us. The early church was inundated by false teachers and false teaching. What happened was people were curious about the faith and they would take some of the truth that was being taught, the scriptures, and they would combine it, combine it with like stoicism or legalism or Gnosticism and create kind of a new teaching. And so the early church fathers, some of whom were discipled by the actual apostles, would gather these church councils together and they would examine these teachings. And if they didn't square up with the words of Jesus, the words of the apostles, then they would rebuke the false teacher and they would declare that teaching to be of the devil, uh, an evil and a lie. And if the person didn't repent, they were excommunicated. And unfortunately, many who were excommunicated then went out and led movements based on false teaching. And that's been going on ever since. In fact, it's been going on ever since the Old Testament. I was reading in Isaiah this week in chapter 24, I think it's about verse 5, where God says to his people, you have twisted my truth. You have twisted my truth. And that truth is still being twisted. And it's most dangerous when it's being twisted from within the church by those who call themselves Christians. And so there's a movement that's really becoming very insidious within the church today. And I use that word insidious because it's, it's gradual and it's cumulative. It's like yeast. It's spreading. And it's called progressive Christianity. In that interesting progressive culture, now we have progressive Christianity. And uh, I want to give you the signs of progressive Christianity, all right? And this all comes out of some work that's been done uh, by a uh, lady, uh, Alyssa Childers. I'll give you her name and book a little bit later on. But she's done a lot of work in this area as well as many others as well. In fact, in her book, Another Gospel, and I'll share that with you in a few minutes, she actually exposes some uh, 
pretty popular Christian authors and celebrities who are really in the progressive Christian movement. Bobby Harrington, who also writes about this, uh, takes some of children's material and presents five ways you can know a church is leading toward progressive Christianity or an individual is or a theology is. And I want to walk through those with you because you're going to need the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in order to combat that as it affects your life and particularly as it affects the life of your students. Here's what it what he says, all right? Science of progressive Christianity. Number one, a lowered view of the Bible. In other words, what becomes important in progressive Christianity is not so much what the Bible says, but what I believe. So whatever it is that I really believe to my core, that, that's truth, not necessarily what God's Word says. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. So, I feel this in my core. I feel this is right. This feels good. This, this feels like the truth. Therefore, it is the truth. Even if it contradicts something else that you believe is the truth, it's my truth. I feel it. Number three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. That's because in progressive Christianity, it is believed that the Scriptures pass through the hands of sinful human beings who then used their prejudices to kind of twist what it was really meant to say. Therefore, we got to kind of go back to it and draw that prejudice out of it and see it for what it meant. And this is especially true in the whole area of sexuality. Number four, historic terms are redefined. So one of the terms that's used about the Word of God is that it is inspired or God-breathed. That God ensured that it came to us through the prophets, the apostles, in an unadulterated way. That is, it hasn't been contaminated. Well, in progressive Christianity, the idea of inspiration is not God-breathed. It's not, it's not God who inspires something. Inspiration becomes something that, that I feel in and of myself. So, the Bible is no more inspired than, say, a sunset or, say, a sunrise or, say, a beautiful picture in an art gallery. It's whatever makes you feel inspired, that is what makes it inspirational. And then, finally, the heart of the gospel shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now, I'll be careful here. The Bible speaks a lot about biblical justice. The Bible cares about widows and orphans and those who are in poverty. And we as believers, God calls us to care for each other and to lift each other up. But it is no substitution for the fact that we are all sinners and we need salvation through Christ and his death on the cross. In progressive Christianity, the idea that God would sacrifice his son is seen as abusive. The idea that Christ died on the cross for our sins is seen as exaggerated. In progressive Christianity, we are not born sinful. It is our environment that contaminates us. In progressive Christianity, salvation is lifting people up out of their situation and giving them a better life. The Bible tells us that our problem is not 
how rich or poor we are. Our problem is not whatever injustice we have suffered. Our problem is all of us are sinners who cannot save ourselves, who need the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Now, is it important that we lift each other up? Is it important that we help people out who are in need? Absolutely, it's expected. But it's not, it's not the same as salvation. And so this is the beef that the Apostle Paul had with the churches that he started, especially in Galatia. He writes to them, he says, I gave you the truth. What are you guys doing chasing after another gospel? Look what he says. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Wow, strong words, huh? As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to one you received, let him be accursed. Listen, to take the word of God and add to it or reinterpret it to say something it was not meant to say is to then create a lie, is then to create another gospel and another savior. And all you have to do is read the Bible carefully and God does not take a liking to that. That's, that is asking for judgment. And you know, when I think about some of those who are out there spreading this progressive Christianity, I fear for them as they're going to have to stand before God having misled so many with a false heretical gospel. There's no excuse for it at all. We have the gospel. We have the good news. We have a Savior. Go back to the board. Think about it. We've got a truth to tuck our lives into, don't we? We have a righteousness to protect us and give us worth and value to lift us up. We have peace with God. We can see God in any situation, whether it's in our, our suffering or even in our failures. We can see God in that with us. We're not alone. We have hope, hope for the past, hope for the present, hope for the future. God has given us so much. He has blessed us so much. And we should have a confidence in that. And that's what Paul is saying to us in this passage of Scripture. Let me kind of give you a picture of what I think Paul is trying to say. And I'm going to use the things that are up here, okay? So we'll take the parma, we'll take this smaller shield, okay? And then I'm going to go over here and I'm going to actually take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, if I can get it out of the loop here, all right? And I, I, want, I, want, to pick, I want you to picture or see what Paul is describing for us here, okay? So the idea is I've got the shield, okay? The shield of faith. And the shield of faith is bringing God into every situation, to every circumstance, so whatever I'm hearing from others, whatever teaching, I ask myself, is it in keeping with what God has said, with God's truth? So I keep Christ's center. I keep God's center in my life. 
And as those arrows of false teaching come my way, I use the word of God to what? I use the word of God to, to slash them, so to speak, to cut to the quick, to expose the lie, to confront with the truth. Now, if you feel like this feels too aggressive, too militaristic, this is the picture of Jesus. Think about Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. If you look at that passage carefully, on the one hand, Jesus lifts up in his weakness the shield of faith. He brings God into the temptations that he's facing. He brings the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, because in the three temptations the devil gives, Jesus says, it is written, the Scriptures say, it is written. And he defeats Satan's attempt to twist the truth. Now, if Jesus needed this, how much more do you and I need this, right? In our hearts and in our lives. Another way to think about it, which has been really helpful for me, is a little bit of an experiment. And you might want to try it sometime, but you're going to need a pretty wide open space. But if you put somebody in a wide open space and you blindfold them and you tell them to walk in a straight line, do you know what will happen? Eventually, they begin to turn. They begin to curl. And pretty soon, they start walking in a circle. And if they keep walking and it's enough space, they will actually walk in a tighter and tighter circle. It's been proven. They think they're walking straight, but they're actually walking in circles. Why? Because we need a fixed point to be able to walk straight. I need to be able to see something that I'm walking towards in order to walk straight. I came across this little uh, quote uh, by Robert Colwich of NPR. Listen to what he said. He said, without a corrective, our insides take over and there's something inside us that won't stay straight. Now, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but that is a great commentary what we've been talking about. There's something inside of us that just won't stay straight. It's called our sin nature. Left to ourselves, we will not walk a straight path. We will always walk a crooked, wrong path. We need a fixed point. Our fixed point is the Word of God. Look what the psalmist said. Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That is, it's stable, it's true. But just as true is Jesus as our fixed point. Look what the writer said in Hebrews. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. And that's what putting on the armor is all about. Ultimately, it is all about being fixed on Christ, being fixed on His Word. Staying true to the course. Let me ask you a question. Do you have God's armor on? Are you living by his truth? Are you covered by his righteousness? Dressed in his righteousness alone. I stand before the throne.
approved by God? Are you, do you have the peace of God? You're ready for anything life brings you because you've got that internal peace. You're not drawing your peace in the world. You've got the peace of God. Do you have that shield of amazing faith, right? Where you can bring Christ into any and every situation and it stabilizes you. Do you have that hope no matter what your past has been, no matter your present, no matter what the future is, you've got that hope that's fixed on Christ. And you got the word of God by which to combat lies and stay true to all that God has called you to. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us as we walk away from this series now to make it a daily practice in our lives to put on this beautiful armor of God. Father, I pray that you would embolden us and strengthen us to be confident in our faith, to not be afraid of this world, but to be fearless in this world, to realize, God, that we are on loan to this world. We're here to carry out our mission for Christ. We are not of this world. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And Lord, right now, this world desperately needs you living through us. So Father, I pray, help us to suit up, especially in these days, and be available for you to use. For your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, two things for you. First of all, let me give you the name of that book by Alyssa Childers. It's called Another Gospel. So I highly encourage all of you to get this and to read it. It is so appropriate for the times that we're living in. It will help you with your discernment. Secondly, we're getting ready to enter the Christmas season. And this is a stressful year, unlike any other year. And some of you may be going through some real hard challenges and stressful times. And we would love, through our prayer ministry to be in prayer for you especially. And so we're calling this initiative that our prayer team has come up with 12 Days of Prayer. And uh, the 12 Days of Prayer are going to be an opportunity for you to reach out and have our prayer partners pray for you over the noon hour. It begins on uh, December 12th. It runs through the 23rd, 12 days. And you can begin signing up for a slot to be prayed for on December the 9th. All the information you need, you'll be able to find here at our website, wooddale.org slash 12 days of prayer. All right? So if you would like someone to pray with you and for you by Zoom, okay, just go to the site, sign up for a time slot. You can start signing up beginning December 9th and the prayer times will begin December 12th to 23rd. We would love to be praying for you Take advantage of that opportunity. There is power in the Word of God and there's power in prayer. I hope you've enjoyed our series this fall on spiritual warfare and have found hope and help for overcoming evil. God bless all of you.